Well, good morning, Peachtree, and to all of you who are watching our broadcast this morning. If you are in the Atlanta area, how about those storms last night? Wow, those were amazing. So I hope that you and your family are safe and dry and that everyone is doing well. We're in the midst of a series where we're talking about how to deal with the contentiousness and the combativeness of today. Not only in the midst of an election cycle, but also just our society and how we're living in the midst of a culture of contempt and how the gospel provides us with unique tools to find harmony in an age of hostility. In fact, one of the goals of the gospel is to bring us together. I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in the book of Ephesians. He puts it this way. He says, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That this is one of the primary objectives of the gospel, that we might find that peace and that harmony and that unity, that sense of belongingness and togetherness that is uniquely found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is our roadmap for the series that we're going on in the book of Ephesians. Jesus's prayer is that they might be one. And this is the heart of the book of Ephesians for there to be unity for you and for me and for all of us, not just in the church, but together. Paul begins his letter by talking about grace and peace, and that's his customary greeting. And so we're going to see how in the first half of the book of Ephesians, it's all about finding peace, the foundations of peace, the theological underpinnings of peace. And then we're going to talk about what does it mean to keep the peace in the second half of the book of Ephesians. For those of us who are wanting to get very quickly to application and to the practical nature of pulling together, that's coming. But Paul says it's only found once you get that true and firm foundation in Jesus and in the gospel. Last week, we talked about how Paul begins at the end, how he begins with a blessing, that the benediction comes right at the genesis or the beginning. And in doing so, he talks about how you and I, with a kind of a Trinitarian formula, we have been chosen by the Father, we have been redeemed by the Son, and we have been marked by the Holy Spirit. And today, Paul is going to continue that journey in one of the richest and most beautiful passages in all of the New Testament. I want you to hear, Scripture was meant originally to be heard, not just to seen with our eyes. I want you to allow this incredible prayer, thanksgiving, and warning to wash over you on this day. In the second chapter, in the first chapter of the second half, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, For this reason, ever since I have heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which you have been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him with him at his right hand, far above all rulers and authorities, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. 
And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him head of everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. But as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit of him who is at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh with its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he may show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God so that no one may boast for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. I want to show you a picture of a man by the name of Ravi Zacharias. This is a picture of him and his wife when he was towards the end of his life earlier this year when he was suffering from a rare form of a spinal cancer. When Ravi was 17 years old, he was living in Delhi, India, and his life was fraught with depression, brokenness, and confusion, and he attempted to take his own life with some poison. He was in the hospital, and his mother was there when someone came in and brought a Bible. This man bought and brought this Bible to his mother, opened it up to John chapter 14, put a bookmark in it, handed it to him and said, read him John chapter 14. His mother set it aside and eventually opened it up and read it to her son. There was a phrase in the 19th verse of John chapter 14 that talked about because I live, Christ is saying, because I live, you also will live. And as soon as the young, broken, Ravi Zacharias heard that in his bed. He knew he would give the rest of his life to pursuing that truth. If there was a theme to his life, and I love this phrase that he says, he puts it like this. He says, Jesus did not come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. In other words, we're not just in the behavior modification business. The reason that we're spending so much time talking about the foundations of unity is that you can't do it just by a little tweak of behavior here and there, that you and I are dead in our sins. Here's how the Apostle Paul describes it. I love this contrast when he puts it like this. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And then just a few verses later, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. That's gotta be one of the greatest contrasts and verses in the Bible. 
that even though you and I are kaput and with rigor mortis stiff in our deadness, that God will make us alive. And so the question is, not can we become good, but how can we wake up? How can we come alive? And the first way that Paul talks about how we come alive in Christ, how God makes us alive, is by knowing him better. Here's the verse that describes that. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that, and say it with me, you may know him better. That's the goal, is that you might know him better. My sister was going to be in one of her best friend's wedding. And when she was in the wedding, she noticed that there was a young man that was on the other side of the court. There was someone else in the wedding that she didn't know. And so she met this young man at the wedding, and his name was Craig. Craig noticed Carolyn as well and asked the groom, Brian, and said, hey, tell me about her. And Brian said, listen, don't even bother. She's out of your league. Now, of course, I would say theologically that that's true for every man that pursues marriage, that every woman is out of our league. But that was like saying sick him to a bulldog for Craig. Craig was a soldier at the time in the Marines. And even though they only had a brief encounter of getting to meet one another, through letter after letter, he pursued getting to know my sister better. Stationed in California, serving even over in Somalia, regardless of what was going on and whether it was his work or training or deployment, Craig pursued her to get to know her better. And that the key to unlocking her heart was the discovery that even through the limitation of those letters, that once you are known, that's when you can discover that you are loved. One of the things that saddens me about the faith in America today is that so many people view what happens as a transaction as opposed to a relationship. We all think of it as saying the magic formula in order to get to go to heaven after you die, when in reality, the whole purpose of all of this is that you might get to know him better. In the same way that my now brother-in-law Craig pursued my sister with question after question and conversation after conversation, I encourage you to know that you can come alive in a whole new way if you will seek to get to know him better. The second way that we come alive is in this way, that we live from grace. This is the verse that describes it. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Grace might be one of the most elusive words. It's a beautiful word. word. We always think that grace is amazing and that we want in on it. But that verse for me helps to capture kind of maybe some defining parameters of, of what grace is. In other words, grace is kindness of Jesus Christ wrapped in the gift of God himself. And what Paul does through these verses is to give us a couple of ideas of what grace actually looks like in action. Let me share with you two of those qualities here. Grace in action looks like this. 
desire without disobedience, and effort without earning. In other words, you and I have these desires, and when those desires fall into alignment with what God wants for each and every one of us, that's when we know that we are living and walking in grace. And a lot of people misunderstand grace as as thinking that grace is opposed to effort. But Dallas Willard, one of my favorite teachers of all time, said grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. It's opposed to that mindset that you think that all of this begins with you and it all comes from you. It's one of my favorite aspects of what Paul talks about in here when he says it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. But maybe the crown jewel of this whole passage is the fact that the Apostle Paul says this. He says, but we are God's handiwork. You are his poem, it says in the original Greek. Uh, One translation, the New Living Translation, translates it as, for we are God's masterpiece. John Stott tells the true story of a famous college in Ridley Hall over in Cambridge, where there was a principal who was retiring and they were unveiling his portrait. I wanna share it with you. Uh, They were unveiling his portrait to go up along all the walls where all the other famous principals had gone before him. And after they unveiled it and they invited him kind of in this retirement ceremony to, to share a few words, he said something that surprised and humbled all of them. What he said was, I hope over the years that as people walk by this portrait, it will not be so much who was that man, but who was the artist who created that man. In other words, this principle was saying in kind of multiple layers that it wasn't about him, but it was about the one who made him. And in that piece of art that he thought that was so beautifully done that it was less about him and the one who had created him. This is when you know that you're living in grace. When you recognize that you are God's masterpiece, you are God's work of art. And when you recognize that and you live out of that reality, all of a sudden the dead parts of your life start to come alive. And so first we know that when we come alive that It's about knowing God better. And then we discover that we live from grace, walk in grace, that we're God's handiwork. And finally, we learn that it's our time to take our seat. It's a contrast of verses here in this one. In the first part of this long passage, and the reason I shared all with you today, this whole thing, because you have to be able to get the both end of the second half of that first chapter and how it connects to the verses in the beginning of chapter two. Because towards the end of chapter one, it's all about the exaltation of Christ, how Christ has been seated at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And yet at the same time, when he talks about his grace and what God does for us, that God raises us up with Christ and that God seats us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. God moves us from the lowly place where our everyday life is and he draws us into the exaltation 
of his own being. After my first year of seminary, I was working at a congregation in Dallas, Texas. And there was this young woman before I met Kelly that I was interested in and I wanted to uh, take her on a date. I knew she was a huge country music fan and not just a country music fan, but a huge kind of classic Texas country music fan. She was a huge fan of this man right here. I'll put him up on the screen, the incomparable George Strait. It's the only time I've ever been to a concert and all you would have to do is just kind of look at the screens and wink and people seem to scream with enthusiasm. And so I probably bought the last two tickets on Ticketmaster for the George Strait Country Music Festival in the home of Texas Stadium, the original home of the Dallas Cowboys, God's favorite football team. Although I have no idea what's going on this year. And so we get these last two seats. We are like in the second to last row in the corner of Texas Stadium. And it's one of those things, I have to describe this for you, where it's like our bodies are facing this way, but the stage is all the way over here. And it was one of those all day music festivals. And we didn't, you know, couldn't get time off of work and, and you know, could only show up for George. And so we got there just in time for George Strait to, to start singing. And what we didn't know was two things. One, these seats were not only visually so bad where George was this little tiny speck all the way down there with the other 70,000 people in the room. It was also the fact that there was this terrible reverb in the corner of the top rafters of that building for a concert. I mean, we literally couldn't understand a word that he was saying. It was so garbled and mushy in its sound. I mean, he would start singing and we couldn't even recognize what the song was. He would get up to the microphone and he would say, and everybody would go, ah, and we go, ah, what did he say? We had no clue. The other thing that you need to know is the backstory for this tale is that there was a group of women behind us that had um, taken full advantage of the very large beer sales that were happening that day. And so by the time we got there, they were, let's just say they were assisted by some mental capacities that aren't no normally bestowed on us in our regular train of thought. And so we get there and there's this like third song or something like that that we finally recognize. Ooh, we think we know what the song is. And we stand up and we start to kind of dance a little bit. We're trying to get the crowd into it. Well, the ladies behind us did not appreciate that. And they started yelling at us. They started swearing at us. And one of them got so upset that she took her 32 ounce beer and she dumped it down the back of my date. Now I'm a gentleman. And so I was gonna to try to handle this with great poise and dignity. But my date, she was somebody who ran triathlons for fun. And so she turned around and faced these four women and she pulled her fist back. And it was in that moment, it was in that moment that I was both simultaneously impressed and that I knew that this woman was not for me. And so I pull her back and I'm like, okay, okay, let's leave, let's leave, let's get out of here. This is, we don't need to get into a fight over this. These seats are terrible. I am so sorry. Um, let's, just, let's just go out, let's just get something 
to eat. So we're walking down and we're walking to get ready to go out and all the way down, work our way through all the different staircases and escalators to get to the bottom. When all of a sudden this man with no neck, he was so huge, came up to the two of us and he looked down at me and he said, are the two of you alone? I never know how to answer that question when a very large person asks you that. And so I said, yeah. And he reached from behind his back, I kid you not, and he pulled out two tickets and he said, these are from George. And I said, George who? My date hit me on the arm and said, George straight, you idiot. And that was probably the moment that she knew that I was not the right person for her. But this man escorted us down a private air elevator that required one of those keys to get into. And he took us down on the front level and he pushed people out of the way. It was like a speedboat creating a wake in the middle of a, of a, of a body of water. And he pushed us towards the front to where our seats were, like front and center, just a few rows back. And we cannot believe what's happened to us. We are this close to George and he's singing to us. And I turn around and I point to that corner where we used to be. And I leaned over to my date and I said, and some people don't believe in a God. Oh, what a great day that was. It was a great day because we were far away. We had been brought near and we had been given a new set of seats. Your life right now might be filled with conflict, confusion, fighting, brokenness. You can't hear or see very well. But let me tell you this, there is one who is greater than you or me, who has a seat for you, a place for you. It is both a place of honor but it is also a place of responsibility. It is a place where you and I get to reflect the very character of the one who has made us and who invites us into a relationship with him. You see, these, these are the foundations of not only our faith, but of unity. Because you see, after the blessing comes an invitation an invitation to come alive, to move out of the deadness of our sin and our brokenness. And we cannot expect our world to become harmonious unless that transformation happens within you and me. And so I wanna put these three things back up on the screen for you and ask you, do you need to pursue God to know him better? Are you seeing it as a transaction? Are you living from grace? Do you really live each day as if you were a masterpiece of the great artist and creator that is our God? And do you really leave, live with the assurance that he has a place for you, an exalted seat of both honor and responsibility to live in the fullness of the one who fills everything in every way. It's not just about the transaction of bad people 
becoming good, but about the dead coming alive. When you get to the end of your life, you will not just look back on your life and say, I wish I would have been nicer. When you get to the close of the day, and I've had the privilege of watching many people go through this, it's about who we belong to, and it's about where the incredible journey that we're about to be able to be a part of. And so with my closing prayer today, I want you to feel the weight of the invitation of not just behavior modification, but of inner transformation. And so let's pray together. Eternal God, we confess that we have reduced the gospel often to something that it was never meant to be. Just about how we can make our lives a little bit better, how we can change our circumstances, how we can make the situation better for us and for others. And yet, God, a more radical disease requires a more radical intervention and a more radical cure. And so, God, I hope that you will once again use the very same power that you used to raise Christ Jesus from the dead and that you will make that available to us. Impress upon us, God, the hope to which we are called, the riches of your glorious inheritance and that incredible power. For anyone, God, who needs to pursue you, to know you, will you encourage them to do that right now? For anybody who needs to not try, stop trying to earn their way into your good graces, but to trust that we're all your workmanship. And Lord, for us to have a vision of what it means to be close to you and to know that even amongst the heavens, you will raise us up. Thank you, God, for these great, firm, and certain promises, and that without them, there will be no peace. Let that peace begin in our hearts, O oh God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.